Are you ready to become awesomer? Hello, everyone. My name is Umar Hamid. I'm your host on the No Limit Selling Podcast, where industry leaders share their tips, strategy, and advice on how you can become better, stronger, faster. Just before we get started, I've got a question for you. Do you have a negative voice inside your head? We all do, right? I'm going to help you remove that voice in under 30 days guaranteed. Not only remove it, but transform it. So instead of the voice that sabotages you, there's one that propels you to much higher levels of performance and success. There's a link in the show notes. Click on it to find out more. All right, let's get started. Hey, everyone. Today, super, super excited. We've got Andy Miller here. He is an expert in sales. And more important than that, Andy has written a book that is like the uh, uh, the answer to a prayer of anybody hiring salespeople because it's so difficult to do. The science of hiring quota busting sales teams, you know, that's like Nirvana. What do you want for Christmas? Uh, <laughs> not my two front teeth. I want a sales team that performs. Hey, Andy, welcome to the program. Hey, Omar, thank you for having me. So one of the phrases I've heard uh, about salespeople, me included, is they're good uh, BSers, which is like, you know, one of those myths. And, you know, it's true because way too often people hire people that sound really good on the interview. And resumes are like basically the best fiction ever written. And so they end up hiring the wrong person. Uh, A, why is that? And B, how can we remedy that? <laughs> why is that? Oh, there's a lot, a lot of answers to that. Um, why do we end up hiring the wrong person? Well, let, let's start with the salesperson first, and then we'll talk about the company second. So first thing is, you know, salespeople, they're, they're people people, right? They, they know how to schmooze. They know how to talk. And most companies make the mistake of hiring people that they like. And so it's human nature. It, yeah, it is human nature. And if, if you look at the whole interview process, so yeah, let me frame this for a second. So this book was written on two years of research along with an organizational psychologist because I I asked her the question. It took me a year, a year to find an organizational psychologist who mm. who understood um, assessments and the application to hiring. It was, I talked to a lot of people, took a long time to find her. Uh, ironic thing is she was just a couple miles from my house. I searched all over the country and, and here she was five minutes from my house. So like, wow, what are the odds of that? But salespeople are, are good at selling themselves. And there's lots of bias built into the hiring process. Mm -hmm. So we start with a phone interview or uh, sorry, uh, uh, nowadays a video interview. Well, the research shows. Zoom, yeah, people, definitely. Yeah, m most people make up their mind in the first five minutes, whether they like the person or not. If they like them, they ask the easy questions. If they don't like them, they ask the hard questions. Why? Because in the easy questions, they can advance them to the next step. With the hard questions, they can disqualify them. So companies have a lot of bias in their process. They do not have a structured interview, meaning structured interview is each person who's interviewing a candidate. Let's say you have the recruiter, you have a subject matter expert, uh, and you have the, the hiring sales manager. Each one of them should have their own set of questions 
that they asked the right. they asked the same questions to each candidate, but they also have defined what's a good answer, what's an average answer, what's a poor answer, along with a scorecard. So they're taking bias out of the process. Now, the research, like I said, mentions in the first five minutes, they determine whether they like the person or not. And, and, and like isn't just on personality. Do, do I like the way they look, the length of their hair? The, you know, are they wearing the, the, the right baseball cap on the interview like you are? You know, so, you know, that's, that's what they're looking at. And because they don't have defined questions with defined answers in a, in a scorecard, it, it's all based upon gut. And I think part of the reason is uh, we think we are better at certain things than we actually are. Yes. And so I don't need to prepare, Andy. Like, uh, do you want me to like prepare or do you want me to find you a good candidate or whatever that version is in the sales world? Do you want me to fiddle around with a CRM or do you want me to sell? Like, well, what do you want, Andy? <laughs> it's like, which yeah. of course is not either or. Yeah. And, 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 and most companies, don't use assessments. And if they use an assessment, they use the wrong one. Like the one I hear about all the time is, oh, we use this. Well, even this says, do not use this for hiring. It's, it's not meant, it, the tool was not designed that way. So it's, it's an abuse of the tool. And then they end up not getting what they thought they were getting because their process is all wrong. Now, the flip side of that is, the companies misrepresent themselves. The companies and, meaning? Uh, the company that's hiring misrepresents themselves. They, they tell you that they're, they're number one in the market and they're not. Or they tell you they got a great product, but the product hasn't even gone through beta yet. Or um, the job description is, is wrong. I, yeah. Listen, I, I don't think they intentionally misrepresent. I, I think it's more out of, being naive, but I'll give you an example. I had a sister. She's always been in um, a management in uh, 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 clothing and shoes and things like that, right? So she sees an ad, responds to it. It's about a management position, has multiple interviews, all discussion around management position, gets hired and discovered it's a it's a clerk position mostly responsible for stocking the shelves. Wow. And you would be surprised how many times I hear salespeople say, that just happened to me. I go, what do you mean? They said they had a product, but it's not even out of beta. They, they said they are number one in the market, and I've discovered that um, people in the market don't even know who they are. They, you know, the 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 man there was supposed to be training, uh, they have no training. It was it was one day on how to do order entry. So, you know, you got a problem. It's, it's one side of the equation is, Hey, what happened to that person that I interviewed and who showed up? And the other side of the equation is, Hey, what happened to that company you told me about? Cause what I'm walking into is nothing like what you described. All right. So let's kind of back this up uh, a little bit uh, yeah. and break this down. Cause a lot of information there. So if let's say we are, uh, We'll pick two examples. One is we are a company that uh, sells cars. Okay. Local Ford dealership. Uh, if you were the manager, how would you craft a good description for that job? Like my initial gut feel would be is to rather than thinking about what my salespeople do is maybe 
talk to a couple of salespeople that work for me and figure out what they actually do. Like, uh, how would you craft a, a description of that job? Would you talk to the salespeople? Uh, how do you get something accurate where you've, the idea of a job description is that you find the right candidate for your company as opposed to trying to sucker somebody in to join you. So how do you craft a good uh, description yeah. so you find the people that you want as opposed to everybody applying or the wrong people applying? So I would look at your newest hires that are being successful. Mm. You, know, you, you would think, hey, we'll go look at the most successful reps. Well, what if you had a rep that's been there for 15 years and he or she is just living off of referrals and you know, a new hire isn't going to live off referrals. They, they've got to shake the trees, beat the bushes, make a lot of phone calls. So I would look at who are your newest hires who have been successful in performing at or above where you expected. And, and so then I take, you know, three or four of those folks and I'd look at what are they doing? Then I would do my job description. But if you ever, if you ever notice when you look at a job description, it has this long list of, you know, must be able to do this and this and this and this and this and this. And it's a long laundry list. But never do they say these four things are 80% of the job and the rest is 20% of the job. They they lose the message in their just in their description. So why do you think uh people do that? Like, don't do the common sense thing. It's like, hey, uh 90% of your job is getting first appointments. If you're getting first appointments, we'll show you how to close them. But if you're not getting those, the rest of it, who cares? Like why yeah, do people I mean, not? The rest, is, the rest is noise, right? I mean, does it say must, must be proficient on a computer? Okay, bring them in for the interview and go, hey, um, I've got you logged in. Uh, go to the database, look up Umar and tell me his phone number. I, you know, or, or, or send me an email um, um, after the interview with your thoughts of, you know, what was it like that way I can see, can they write, can they use email, you know, or can they do it in a timely fashion? So there's lots of ways you can put little tests in there, but why they don't do it. I, it, I have no clue because I, I haven't seen job descriptions that say this is, these four things are 80% of the job. So I think here's why it is, uh, for example, uh, let's say, uh, so I'll give you a data point and then I'll come back to or an anecdote, and I'll come back to this, is that if you have uh, uh, someone that's with their family, people they love, they trust, and the closest bonds, oftentimes they don't have the social filters that they need. And sometimes they're abrupt and rude. And they're not doing it to be mean is because all the filters get removed and you're yourself with that person. But when you go out into public, you have these social filters come in and there's a different version of you shows up. And I think equating that to, oh, I'm writing a job description. So it has to be like this, like all job descriptions are, as opposed to how do I write a description that gets me the best candidate for my job is a different filter. And I think we go into this the way it's supposed to be. And we just go down that path and it makes perfect sense in that filter, as opposed to, you know, how do I get the best candidate that is going to uh, beat the crap out of the competition? Yeah, I, I, I don't think people have, outside of HR, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not even sure about them, nobody showed them how to compose a job description. Nobody showed them how to do an effective ad. You know, I'll look at somebody's ad and they'll go, yeah, my ad's not pulling. And I look at it and go, 
there's nothing in there unique. And I say, you're, you're writing a dating ad. If, if you read this ad, would you respond to this? You're not telling me anything exciting or unique or enticing. It's just a list. And so what do most people do? They don't know how to write. So they go to the internet and they search job description or, or hiring ad. They take it, they copy it, and then they tweak it a little bit and go, okay, there it is. No wonder we get the wrong people. So hold on for a second. We're going to go to one of our sponsors. It's called Mindset Boosters, and it's going to change your life. If you're ready to let go of anxiety, let go of uncertainty, let go of doubt, Mindset Boosters gives you the ability to decide how you act and feel in any situation. Ready to take charge of your mindset? Go to MindsetBoosters.com. So if we get the right description, uh, we start getting the right people applying. What's the process that we need to use to ensure, because it's such a time-consuming effort. It's like uh, resumes come in, somebody's got to review them. And then after they review them, there's a first interview and maybe a second interview, then bring them in. And it's uh, a major, major effort that could take a ton of hours. If you take a look at the VP of sales, the director of sales, the other people, HR manager, their hourly rate. It's, uh, you know, $10,000 just in time alone to vet a candidate that doesn't uh, fit your uh, requirements. So how would you recommend? If we get the right no. ad, then so what? I'm going to do, do a step before that. Good. Everybody says they want to hire A players. Mm. Everybody says that. And then my question is, are you an A player company? So the fastest way to figure that out is go to their glass door rating because 50% of all candidates go look at your glass door rating before they respond. Now, most people will say, oh, I ignore glass door because that's where the disgruntled go. Yes, there's probably truth to that, but it's also where your candidates go. So, uh, Com the best companies to work for. So you know how most metropolitan areas have like a business journal. And oh yeah. The business journal will say, "Hey, the best, best companies, that kind of stuff." Exactly. Um, so the best companies to work for have a 4.0 or above rating on Glassdoor. If you're not at 4.0, you're not getting a players. So uh, what's, what's the highest level? I'm not sure. Uh, like 4.0, what's the maximum? They, five? They, they, they go up to five. Okay. So, you know, if you're between four and five, you're get, you're going to attract eight players. If you're 3.2 to 3.9, you're asking for B players. If you're below 3.2, you're asking for C players. So your glass door rating may not reflect who you truly are. But, but if, you chose, if you chose to ignore it, that's what you're getting. And I learned this from a kid in the gym because I you know, befriended him. Hey, how's your job search going? He goes, yeah, this company called me and I didn't even respond because I went and looked at their glass door rating and it was terrible. Why would I want to even respond to them? You know, out of the mouth of babes, right? So Definitely. there's this young guy and he's going, okay, so that's that's the first thing. Um so let me interject there before we go to the next thing. Uh, you've heard of the the book and the movie Moneyball? Yeah, this is Moneyball. So the question is this. 
your best guess, Andy, how many B players have the potential to become A players? Is it a half, a quarter, less, more? I have no idea. I mean, I've, I've got the data analytics on on 3.2 million salespeople. Sorry, 2.3 million salespeople. Um, has the potential? So here's my hypothesis, and there's not enough data to support it. Okay. My hypothesis, well, let's take a look at the sales process. Let's say plus or minus, it's uh, landing the appointment, doing the presentation, handling the objections, closing, and then getting referrals or going deeper into the account. Let's say that was the sales process. If uh, a salesperson has a weakness in any one of those areas, that it has a dramatic impact on their sales results. And so if we could repair that thing, so let's say they were like uh, closing at a good rate, but not a great rate. Like that could be a skill that we could teach them to do better. If they did 20% better there, it would add a significant amount of income to the organization. So looking at it that way, my guess is that maybe 30% of B players uh, have one of those fixable things with the right uh, sales manager or coach could tweak that little thing and get them to actually perform at a higher level. They're already doing a good job. They're going to hit their quota, fix that thing, and they're going to do way better. Uh, or I could be just, you know, uh, drinking the Kool-Aid, my own Kool-Aid. Yeah, I, I, I disagree. Here's why I disagree. Because hmm. you just described a process and a skill set. But th there's there's two more major buckets that contribute to that. Do they want to learn and get better? A huge one. Absolutely. Oh, that's a huge one, right? And, and and the second one is, what are their belief systems, which really kind of plugs into your sponsor that you just ran a, a, a little bit ago of you know, what, yeah. what are their beliefs? And I'll, I'll give you an example. So years ago, I went to buy a Honda Goldwing motorcycle. Uh, walked into the store. I had the money in my pocket, knew what I wanted. Sales rep meets me at the door and says, can I help you? And I give him a subtle buying signal. I go, yes, I'd like to buy a Goldwing. So that, that's my subtle hint. Yeah. And he says, okay. And he walks me over and gives me a demo. I didn't ask for a demo. He spent a half hour giving me a demo. Now, you know, as a sales consultant, I, I thought, well, let's just see how this plays out. Gives me a half hour demo. Then at the end of the demo, because his belief was he was selling to me the way he personally would have shopped. Yep. So he gives me a demo. He projected his beliefs onto me. Now, he, now that's the first belief. His second belief he projected onto me was he says at the end, you know what, Andy, this is a lot of money. That was his belief. I had the cash in my pocket. Then he third belief he projects onto me is he says, you probably want to go home and think it over. And I said, you're right. And I left. Had he, when I walked in the door and by the way, that would have been a third of his quota for that month. Mm. He had he said, okay, I hear you. You want to buy a Goldwing? Guide me on what you'd like to do next. I would say, let's pick out the color, the accessories. I'll pay for it. Let's do the paperwork. I'll pay for it. And can I be out of here in 30 minutes? Would have been the fastest sale he ever made. So, so yes, there's process and there's the skills in the process, but there's also how hungry are you to be successful? And, Absolutely. And, and there's and there's the head, you know, what's what's going on between your ears 
because and, that's and the piece that will screw them up the most. So here's my uh, formula for that. Uh, it's like uh, skill set times mindset equals results. And if you got a poor skill set and poor mindset, uh, uh, go do something else. If you've got a really good skill set and uh, a weak mindset, you're going to do okay. If you've got a really good mindset and a weak skill set, you're going to do okay. But if you've got a great skill set and a great mindset, you're going to like be an A player and just kill it. And so, and part of that is, do you want to learn his mindset? And then also what have the blocks are to get them out of the way? All right, so let's go back to the process. We've got a really good ad that uh, is going to attract the right people. Uh, resumes start coming in. Uh, what's a process people should follow in order to find uh, a quota-busting salesperson that's going to well, enhance the team? So the, so the next step in my process is that it depends on what the market conditions are. If there's lots of candidates and not too many jobs, my next step would be to send them an assessment to take. If there's OMG, which assessment yeah. would you send them to? Yes, OMG. <laughs> uh, and if they're not too many candidates and lots of jobs, then I'm probably going to need to do a short interview to get them engaged. Now, here's the problem. They will most likely do a short video interview. And now the bias starts to kick in. They don't like the way they look. They don't like the way they dress. They don't like the way they sound. They don't like what they have in the background. They don't, uh, uh, and something then turns them off. So it's like, you know what? Don't do a video interview or do a video interview, but everybody then gets the assessment because you can't trust your gut in a five minute interview. So then assess them and let the assessment guide you because when you look at the selection methods that companies use and what's most predictive or accurate in predicting success. Uh, culture index, culture type indexes are about 13%. Resumes are about 18. Hmm. Uh, personality assessments are about 20. Uh, normal interviews where they just ask some questions, but it's not structured, it's about 21%. Um, and then if you look at the assessment that I use, that's 91%. So that, that, that's three to four times more predictive than anything else they're using. So do you want to spend hours, you know, multiple interviews with somebody only to get to the end and find out they're not a fit, or would you rather find that out up front? And if they fit your criteria, then run them through your interview process. Cause now you're only interviewing people who can do the job whether you like them or not, whether the chemistry is there, that's for you to determine. But it's, I call it, it's the e-harmony approach or the money ball approach to hiring. Yeah, absolutely. It makes perfect sense. And one of the things that, uh, so of course I was playing around with the OMG, like, oh my God, but OMG is the assessment you like. Yeah. And the thing I liked about it uh, most, and let me just, I'm going to cough here for a second. One of the things I like about it most is that it looks at the beliefs of the salesperson as well. So one of the things, if I remember correctly, is that if you have a salesperson that thinks $500 is a lot of money, they're going to be predisposed to cave in on price or offer discounts just right out of the get-go. And uh, so looking at the beliefs of the salesperson and developing this assessment and then after doing 
you know, 2.3 million of these assessments that it's been refined. And I think there's a level of certainty if the assessment uh, green lights a candidate, what is the likelihood of that candidate being at the top 50% of your sales force within six months? Do you remember what that is, Andy? Uh, yeah, it was, it was 92% will be in the top half within 12 months. And do you know, happen to know what the uh, the average is when people are just hiring, what percentage of salespeople actually make it to the top 50% uh, without using the assessment? Oh, I don't know the answer to that, but um, yeah, I, I remember one client saying, oh, it'll take years to get them there. And, and, and they got there in like four months. Brilliant, because I know there's another data point uh, for this, uh, which is if the assessment says don't hire Andy Miller and you're like, but I like Andy, he's such a good guy and he's worked for these companies. I want to hire him. What's the likelihood of you failing and uh, not being with a company if I hire you against the assessment? Yeah, so that that, that one is 75 percent will fail within the first six months. I, I call it the puppy love factor. Yeah. And you doggedly believe that. Absolutely. All right. So, uh, and, and that's not belief. That that's that's what the data shows. Absolutely. Yeah. So, where do companies go wrong when they bring a salesperson on board? Uh, uh, there's two types of salespeople, I guess. One type would be one category would be they're not familiar with the industry, but they're really good salespeople. Not that familiar with what we're doing. And then there's another uh, group of people that are in our industry and they've joined our company. Uh, let's take that person first. What's the best way to help help them be successful when you bring them on board? Like, what should we be doing with these talented people that come on board that uh, uh, gives them uh, an unfair advantage to be successful? Because I think a lot of times companies set this up that it's difficult for salespeople to be successful because of just the processes that they have in place that aren't well thought out. Yeah, so uh, if you want to take the example of they're within the industry and they're just yes. switching Let's do companies. that one first and we'll do the other one second. Okay. So if they're in the industry and they're just switching companies, yeah, the mistake is not giving them enough time and energy. I mean, think about it. Uh, we'll take uh, professional football players or basketball players mm -hmm. as an example. When somebody's traded from one team to another, you know, men or women's sports, what's the first thing they have to learn? They have to learn the playbook. playbook yeah. They, they, they don't say, hey, you played for the other team. Come on. We don't need to give you anything. Let's just get you out there on the court. What do they do? They got to learn the playbook and they go through skills and drills and lots of practices before game day. And they and they do that, by the way, year after year after year. So in sales, they don't do that. They go, oh, you, you used to work for our competitor. You're here now. You know how this stuff works. They give them a, a three-day orientation, and then they throw them out there on their own. Uh-uh. Onboarding? The best onboarding is somewhere between three to 12 months long. And, and in the 80s, if you wanted to be a professional salesperson, you went to work for uh, IBM, HP, Xerox, Control Data, and they all had a year, year and a half long training mentor apprentice program and and that's what they ran you through now yes you would go out you'd have some accounts you do some sales but there were there were 
there were layers or levels to their training and you never got to go out on your own until you'd proven, you know, after a year, year and a half that you could do it on your own. And you know, that that's the mistake we make today. We think they're bringing it with them and they're, they are bringing industry knowledge and certain skill set, but they're not bringing it. They're not bringing the, our culture, our way of doing things. I've seen too many sales reps jump from one company to another in the same industry. They were successful at the one and they crashed and burned at the other. Why? Selling the same software to the same people doing the same things and they crash and burn there. You would think there's no reason for that. There's lots of reasons for that. Different sales process, um, different type of manager, different type of culture, lots of reasons. Absolutely. How about a sales rep that's a good sales rep in one industry, they're coming into another? Do they, is the same level of training, uh, you know, a six month program, or is it a different training? No. Certainly they need product knowledge and all that stuff, which would be uh, essential. Yeah. All the research shows onboarding, successful onboarding programs are three to 12 months long. So, what is the job of the sales manager, do you think? Well, too many times you'll see their player coach, which which to me creates a conflict of interest. What what happens when a lead comes in? Who takes that? Does the sales manager get that? So so player coach is okay if it's just a temporary transition kind of move. But the role of the sales manager is really to be the coach. Their their job is to grow their team help them be stronger, you know, leveraging the the sales manager's skills and ability and experience. So to coach them, to train them, to hold them accountable, to mentor them, um, you know, it's pipeline, strategize deals, debrief deals, all, all that stuff, but it's not for them to do direct selling. Absolutely. So Andy, before we, uh, part company, uh, if you're a sales rep coming into a new company, what are the things that you need to be focused on in order to be successful? First thing I would want to know is even before I got hired, who are your three most successful people and what are they doing? You know, that, that, that's what I want to, because I want to know, are they telling me, uh, um, this is an opportunity and it's a fantasy because nobody's ever been able to pull it off or somebody actually able to do it. And then I me as a rep, I want to look at what they're doing, how they're doing it. And I want to copy that second thing. I want to know if they can give me, Hey, what's the, what's the 90 day ramp up plan? Mm. Do, do you have one documented? Can I see it? Cause if they say, yeah, we have it, but they can't prove it. They don't have it. <laughs> they don't have it. It's an intention, but it's it's not a design. So one of the things I'd add to that is this, is like they got this marvelous tool uh, you may have heard of called LinkedIn. And you can go, I'm looking for past employees of this company and talk to some past salespeople that have worked there. And, you know, whatever they say, you don't, you can take with a grain of salt. But if you talk to two or three previous reps, you'll get a good sense of what this company is like and how, what it's like to work there as well. And so sometimes people are quite open to that phone call. If you call them up, say, Hey, you know, I'm thinking of joining 
this company. Uh, tell me about your experience there. What do they do well? What are the struggles? And then when you go for the interview process, you've got real questions you can ask as opposed to just uh, blindly uh, going in there and hoping for the best. Yeah, because think think about every person you're going to interview with as if you're the rep. Every person you interview with is going to put a positive spin on where the company's at. So, Andy, before we part company, two things. Number one, what is your next book? Uh, you've, it's already released. So we were talking about the science of hiring quota-busting sales teams, and you had a second book that came out recently. What's the name of that book? That's called Shameless Self-Promotion, The Science of Closing the Sale by Winning Relationships. Love it. And I like the uh, the covers are very uh, similar. So it's like a uh, X for dummies kind of thing. It's like if you see it in the bookshelf, that's an Andy Miller book. Yeah. I want one of those. Yeah, well, I, I want to do a series because the next one's going to be accelerating Salesforce performance. Love that. Andy, thank you so much for being uh, like you're a veteran in the industry. You've been doing a phenomenal job of helping companies grow their sales. And a great keynote speaker. We're going to put all your contact information in the show notes. Any last words before we part company today? No, Umar, I just appreciate the time. Um, thank you for the opportunity. We're going to go to post-show in a moment, but let's do the outro. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. And if you're looking for more tools, go to my website at nolimitselling.com. I've got a free mind training course there that's going to teach you some insights from the world of neuro-linguistic programming, and that is the fastest way to get better results. 